Hi, this is Alan Ruck, and you're listening to Two True Freaks. For us freaks. Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hey, welcome back to Two True Freaks. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday number 20. And I've been thinking, shouldn't I be really, you know, I'm, I don't know. Should we be really cheesy? We, I'm saying we, I mean Chris Honeywell, that's me. And Scott Gardner, my co-host. Hey! And, uh, you know, I don't know. Should we be starting this episode by starting and going, Live long and prosper! It's the Two True Freaks Star no. Trek Monthly Monday. No? Good? You don't like no, that? Good. Neither no, do I. I. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Nope. I don't like that. Do not like. Good. Neither do I. So, so No none, like I. <laughs> none of that. It's a podcast, Jim. <laughs> oh, Thank so God. Got a good month here. God, we do. Oh, what you a know? harvest of Star Trek this month. We do. I mean, we've got some great stuff. We've got uh, we've got an episode that uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I love the classic episode that we're going to talk about. Oh yeah, we got uh, we got a, a comic, another chapter of the uh, Mirror Universe saga. We got a, a Next Generation episode that, uh, if nothing else, we're going to have a great time tearing it to absolute shreds. And uh, what else do we got? We got all kinds of crazy stuff to go. Plus, we have the uh, a winner for our our big uh, two true freak Star Trek contest that we've been running. We have a winner to announce. So yeah, we've got uh, we got all kinds of great stuff to uh, to talk about this month in Star Trek. Yeah, I had a I had a Star Trek filled not just researching this show, but I watched the second part of the and. You know, I just can't remember the name of it, but it's Blood and Something. It was a James Colley, uh, um, yeah, Star Trek that um, had um, David Gerald. Mm-hmm. Hang on, I'm looking at it right now. 
Yeah, blood and blood, and blood and fire. Fire. Yeah, I was thinking it was fire, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, how and, was it? Was um, it good? It was very good. It was very good. It was uh, definitely a Star Trek story. You know, it had the scandalous angle of it, where you could tell David Gerald was that was what probably kept it off the air. It was sort of. You know, it had uh, Kirk's nephew was gay in it and was going to get married to his boyfriend. And um, that there's these, I think they're Rigelian bloodworms, some sort of bloodworms. And it's a whole metaphor for AIDS, or at least it was in the original. It was going to originally be a Next Generation episode, mm-hmm. but it got bumped. And, and so they retooled it to the original series. And anything scandalous in it aside... It was it was just great. It moves right along like a Star Trek. Uh, the acting in it has has improved, you know, massively. I was not a big fan of the Spock they had in there, but he does a great job. Maybe it's because I watched all these before the 2009 remake, uh-huh. and I'm sort of comparing some of the characters. The Chekhov, they well, Kali's great. Kali. Kali, I just, I just, you know, I accept him as Kirk. He he works out just fine, and uh, but man, the guy they got to play Chekhov is awesome. He looks like Walter Koenig, and he's got the cheesy accent, and he's he delivers it well. You know, he he does. He's just as good as the the movie Chekhov, and uh, the McCoy is pretty good, um, and the Spock, especially in the second part of it was very very good and uh lieutenant yar shows up the actor denise richards is that her name uh crosby crosby shows mm-hmm. up in as uh as a character named yar oh cool in this one so there's a you know a, a legacy so legacy character both from star trek shows and uh in the star trek universe and oh, cool. so so that was very interesting and uh, I downloaded another one that's made by somebody else of Gods and Men, and I haven't watched that. Yeah, yet. I think was wasn't that. See, I, I have trouble. might be in it. He might be in it playing a different character. He might. I have. It might have been like people that he knows or is associated with, and he let him use some of his sets and stuff. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's got a couple actors from the the show in it. I thought that one was another one that had something to do with uh, with the the phase two, but I, I could be wrong. But yeah, there's uh, I, I'm ha- I have trouble figuring out exactly what order those phase two movies are in, because depending on where you download them from or what site or right. whatever, it seems like the renumbering is or the numbering rather has changed and been renumbered a couple of times or something like that. So I'm a little bit fuzzy on that, but. Um, yeah, I need to get caught up on those because I think they've had a couple more episodes come out since uh, since I watched them last. But yeah, I enjoy those a lot. I really get a kick out of them. And uh, didn't they recast their their Mister Spock? Maybe so, but it, well, in those these two parts, it's the same Mister Spock, and he's very good. He's 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 got the he, he this one projects his voice better. I, I if this is a new Spock, he's got that projection of his voice and he's got a little more I think in the earlier episodes they sort of put him to the background a little bit because he may not have been up 
to the standards. Right. But in this one, he's, you know, Spock is playing a pivotal role as he usually does. And the Scotty's, I like this. The Scotty's really amusing. He's not the greatest actor in the world, but he's kind of a pudgy guy and he's amusing. It's, it's, I, I'm totally enjoying the phase two, uh, um, Kirk's nephew is great. He looks like a young James Colley, and there's a and there's a great running gag of him, you know, on the tricorder, you know, talking to Mister Spock, Kirk the Spock, and or, you know, and oh, sorry, Ensign, blah blah blah, you know, Ensign Kirk the Spock, and he says Kirk out when he when he uh, <laughs> gets off the comm too. So that's pretty. That's cool. That's pretty funny, and uh, I, I just I, I I really enjoy it. Um, I don't know. I'll check out. I'll probably be watching of Gods and Men in the next few days. Uh, the other Star Trek thing that's sort of come into into my sights lately, and it's and sort of I went out and got it because you were raving about it. Is the new John Byrne IDW? Yeah, it's good. It's uh, Star Trek Leonard McCoy Frontier Doctor, and uh, I love it. I, th- I think there may be two issues out by now. I'm not. I'm not in- entirely positive because I, you know, I get my comics mailed to me, so I'm always a little bit behind on whatever the current issues are that are out. By the time you're hearing this, there's probably two issues out. But I tell you what, if, if it wasn't enough that it's John Byrne and uh-huh. it's Star Trek by IDW. If that wasn't enough to sell me, what definitely pushed me over the top was opening this up. And the very first page is this beautiful splash page of Kirk. This is this is the motion picture era Kirk. This is actually this adventure takes place in that in-between period between the end of the original five-year mission and to, Star have, Trek motion picture. I have two, two words to sum up to place it right in the exact time period it is. Bearded McCoy. Yep. Yep, and this yeah, this is this is the the what did we call him? Disco McCoy. This is although Disco he's not McCoy really wearing a yeah, he's not really wearing a disco outfit, but that's that's what we had affectionately called him was Disco McCoy. But it shows Kirk in his office. You know, he's he's working, he's holding his pad in this first page that you look at. But it's Kirk in that styling admiral's outfit that he that he wears when you you know when you first lay eyes on him <laughs> and in the his styling, you know, haircut. Yeah, you know, from that time period. But I love it. I love it. God, the art is absolutely beautiful in this. And I thought the story was really good. I mean, it's it's a McCoy-centric story that's actually really good and very entertaining. And I, I got a real kick out of it. I'm I'm anxious to see where this goes. Well, I'm really. Ha- it's it's following like crew. It's following that John John Burns getting himself a little bit of a um. I don't want to say formula with his Star Trek stuff, but he's get it, it's he's got it's a little a, universe that he's building. He, he builds it well. You know, I mean, this will probably go you know a certain number of issues, and he you know he's already introduced a couple you know ancillary characters that are going to be around. You can tell to be you know McCoy's foils and buddies and you know people to you know share the adventure with, and I like it. He does it just like he he sets. You know, he sets up these characters and sets it all into motion and and makes it feel like a Star Trek story. A, right. A original season Star Trek story. It's got all the humor and uh, he's got the characters down. And I love it. He's doing everything. 
you know, except coloring it, right? That's pretty much lettering and coloring. Somebody else does it, but uh, pretty much it's sto- story and art by John Byrne. Yeah, colors are somebody else. Although sometimes he does color his own stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't seen him do it in a while, but sometimes he does, which is at really remarkable when you think about it because John Byrne is colorblind, which I don't know oh, how, wow. how common knowledge that is or not. But yeah, that's pretty wild when you think about it. Yeah, that is pretty... That's weird. I noticed uh, today... I'll just throw it out there real quick, but uh, I, I don't want to tangent into this because I'm, I'm hoping maybe we can actually spin a whole thing out of this at some future point. But uh, I actually got to see Iron Man 2 today, finally. And I noticed while the uh, end credits were rolling that uh, there's thank yous given out to all these um, talents in comics over the years that have touched the, the character of Iron Man. And the first one on the list, probably because it was, I'm, I'm assuming the list was probably alphabetical. alphabetical. I didn't really notice, but the very first person on the list was John Byrne. I was you know like, hey, I, that's cool. You know what's weird is I just assumed that list was just covering all the artists represented in that Marvel montage at the beginning. Oh, that could be. I didn't read it. You know, I didn't read it long enough. I just saw all these comic artists and... And my friend Mark was like, hey, look, John Byrne, blah, blah, blah. It's all these people. And we were figuring it was probably at the beginning that whole Marvel. I think there were some writers in there, too. I mean, uh-huh. it went by really fast, so I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. But I think there may have been writers mentioned as well. So I, I had more of a feeling that it was specifically referencing Man. people that worked on Iron Man either at some point. Or or maybe specifically even at the points that the movie kind of touched upon, like with the Justin Hammer storyline and all that sort of thing. But just thought it was neat that, you know, to see John Byrne's name, you know, up there on the big screen in the credits and all that. Speaking of John Byrne, um, come back next week for uh, the beginning of a, of a new segment that we're going to be adding to Comics Monthly Monday, where we're going to be looking at the career of John Byrne, starting with his uh, uncanny X-Men stuff. And we're really looking forward yeah. to that. That's going to be fun. Well, you know, you mentioned a minute ago a couple of things I wanted to uh, to expound upon. One of them is, uh, you know, you had mentioned legacies in Star Trek, and uh, we'll be coming back to that here in, in just a little bit because... Uh, actually made a really cool discovery in connection with the the classic episode that we're going to be talking about here in just a little bit concerning legacies and characters and stuff like that but also you you mentioned the um 2009 star trek movie the the jj abrams movie and i just finished the uh alan dean foster um novelization you know the uh adaptation of the oh, yeah? movie it's a novel and you know what? I really dug it. It was it was really good. It was uh, it wasn't all that long. It was kind of brief, and uh, I kind of wish that there had been a, a few more, you know, quote unquote DVD extras. You know, like right. You know, you you and I have talked a number of times about back in the old days. You know, we we both used to read a, a lot of movie novelizations because a lot of times you would end up getting scenes that didn't make the final cut of the film so it may have added a little bit of dimension or something like that or given you a new insight into a character or some scene or something like that sadly there really wasn't much of that in this but one thing that it it did add that I really liked that I thought was very cool was uh, one of the things that bugged me a lot 
um, seeing this movie, especially when I saw it the very first time in the theater. Um, I really think the movie, whether it does it intentionally or not, I think the movie creates the impression that James T. Kirk is the only child of George and Winona Kirk. Just by the way that scene plays out at the beginning of the movie, with the you know with the death of Kirk's father and you know the destruction of that ship, and I know exactly what you're getting, just starting to talk about. That's really funny. Yeah. Okay. I what's, have what's to add to that? It's, oh, okay. Is it a scene with him and his brother? Yes. I yes. just saw that on YouTube. Oh, as really? A, as an outtake scene where he's like, "You act like." You know, that's his car. That was our father's car. Right. That's in the book. That's in the book. Yeah. That that scene that's in the movie where it shows Kirk drive away with the uh, what? What is that? It's a Corvette or whatever. Yeah. And he he ends up wrecking the car and all that. There's a, a whole portion of the book where there's a much longer scene that invo- involves his older brother. His older brother is, I won't say he plays. You know any sort of major role in this, but he is in it. You know he's he's talked about, he's mentioned, and he has a, a role to play in you know younger Kirk's life, you know Jim Kirk's life, and and the you know the way he is, you know, and and why he is the way he is. And I liked that, and I, I liked that being in the book, and I really wish that at least he'd got mentioned in the movie because, like I say, I think the movie really creates the impression that. Kirk is the only child. Is an only child, yeah, it sure and does. I don't know why that bothers me, but it just does. It, it just bugged me when I saw the it. The only reason it does, the only thing it does to actually intimate that is not mention a brother at all, but that's enough in a movie, you know? Well, also, you know, the, the scene where Kirk is born, you know, the, the way the father too. reacts and everything, he reacts as if it's his first child, and what that's is true? That he's not going to get to, you know, he doesn't even lay eyes on Jim. You know, so it kind of creates it, it creates. He could have uh, said something like, "Tell his brother, tell his big brother to take care, take of him care of him." Something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, something like that. But uh, you know, it's it, it's a small thing, but it was one of those things that that kind of you know, like I said, bugged me a little bit when I saw the thing. But I, I did enjoy the novel. I would recommend it. One of the things I really liked about the novel, he doesn't beat you over the head with it or anything. But if you are a Star Trek fan. There are a lot of little nods and asides and in-jokes and things like that. They're very subtle, and they're really, I, I believe, they're really put there for the diehard Trekker that would catch such things, you know? But that, they're, do- uh, they're done well enough because it's Alan Dean Foster, right? right? So it's not, like, cheesy... No, no, I don't think it's cheesy at all. I, I think they were, I would think they were very nicely done, very mm-hmm. subtle... But it's the kind of thing to where, you know, if, if you're familiar with Trek enough that you'll go, oh, that's cool. You know, he no. just referenced, you know, the motion picture or he just referenced, you know, this or that. And that that was neat. There were several moments like that that I really liked. Plus, he really heavily abbreviated the whole end of the movie where where Kirk and Spock are in Nero's ship and Kirk has the confrontation with Nero and all that. As a matter of fact, the whole scene where... Uh, where Nero is trying to choke Kirk and he's saying, you know, James T. Kirk was a great man and that was another life or whatever. That whole thing's not even in there. It's much shorter. It's it's a nice, clean resolution in, uh, in the book. Plus, there's actually a tag scene of sorts that I really got a kick out of at the very end of the book. 
and I don't want to spoil it. I, I, I want to recommend that people read it because uh, it was a nice, um, how do I say? It was like a nice acknowledgement, a, a nice it's, little Easter egg for Trek that had come before. Well, it's so I, funny. I'd never thought I'd see this day coming that you're you're playing so nice with the new Star Trek and you you like Terminator Salvation. <laughs> so now I now I'm waiting to hear hear your review of the Terminator Salvation novelization which is alan dean foster also oh no i forgot about that no i don't i don't think i'll read that I, just because i really you know i, I like a few movie, pages of enough. it in a store and it was actually really good it was before the movie <laughs> came out and i read it and i go "Ooh, i'm looking forward to this movie well you know speaking of of playing more nicely with the with the new track i know you and i spoke briefly of this not long ago off the air but it had come down to this i kind of had what I consider a, a bit of a revelation recently. An epiphany. Concerning, yeah, an epiphany of sorts concerning the new Star Trek, which is I'm no longer convinced that this is it. You right. know, that, that now the, the classic is dead and this is the new direction and we're, we're never going to see that again. I, I really think that much like what's happening with the world of comic books right now, I'm really thinking give it some time, give it some distance, and the people that that grew up with certain incarnations and certain iterations of Star Trek, you know, they're going to grow up, they're going to get into it, you know, they may become the the future writers and directors and and powers that be behind, you know, Paramount or Star Trek or whatever. And somewhere down the road, Who's to say that one day there's not going to be some next generation reunion movie or Voyager, you know, the return of Voyager, you know, two hour special or, you know, I mean, I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility that that'll ever happen. I mean, you know, will we ever see another Star Trek, you know, classic Star Trek movie with with, you know, How William you? Shatner? At, no, that I don't think that'll ever happen. Maybe maybe like as an animated film or something like that, it could maybe possibly happen but what i'm talking about is you know is the classic timeline done and i'm I'm talking not just kirk you know original kirk but i'm talking you know picard and and ds9 and voyager and all that is that really done i you know i'm i'm no longer convinced that it really is if for no other reason is that i know that there are things out there right now since this movie has come along, you know, the J.J. Abrams movie, that are still playing in that classic timeline. You know, not the least of which is that uh, that Star Trek online game, which I'm not going to profess to know anything about. I really know only the, the slightest bare bones about that. But I'm, if I'm wrong, someone please write in and correct me, but I'm pretty sure doesn't that take place in the future of like next gen it's it's supposed to be like a certain number of you years so. further into the that same future so so it's on that timeline not yeah the 2009 timeline yeah so it, it gives me hope that it, it's not all really over at all that that this iteration of star trek that's out there the jj abrams stuff that's the current thing that's happening you know that's going to be the current iteration of the franchise for a while you know th those will be the movies that we'll be seeing but i really don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that one day we might see you know some sort of 
I don't know whether it's a reunion movie or whether it's a whole new TV show that that suddenly starts up and it's, you know, I don't know, like Riker's Kid, you know. I don't know, something, but I really don't think it's as dead as I originally thought that it was. This this is what I... This is been my idea of what they should do for the next Star Trek, which <laughs> it's probably too late to do. They're probably already past the screenplay stage of it, I would imagine, at, at this point. But um, I would hire either Harlan Ellison or David Gerald, but not have them write the screenplay flat out. I would have them write it in conjunction with the two guys that wrote 2009 because I think they're okay. I don't think they were such great screenwriters. I think they were good at being sort of politicians with it Mm -hmm. and trying to make everybody happy. But as far as screenwriters go, yeah, but David Gerald and, or, and, or Harlan, not both of them together because that would probably be a, a fist fight. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't know how the two get along or anything, you know, but uh, they're both, I hear, pretty volatile. But if you get one or the other, they're both really good. I would always prefer Harlan Ellison, but he quits. He gets pissed because he wants it his way. So he might Just not want to so, work yeah. with two other people. I don't know. I don't really, you know, I don't know any of the people involved personally, so I can't really say. But I have a feeling that could make, because... David David Gerald and Harlan Ellison could come up with a great idea. They, and their ideas got squashed a lot, but I think in this day and age, you can get away with a lot more, not really content-wise, but like creative-wise. You, they could go a little farther out, you know, into the, you know, sort of like where Alan Moore is going to take Swamp Thing, you know, in from where we were before right so so and then combined with these two guys who have a more sense of the modern audience although i don't think david gerald or or harlan ellison really give a shit about you know joe theater six-pack person <laughs> and they probably wouldn't be happy with the final product but it would make for a much better movie than probably if it was just those other two guys again right so I don't know. I like I was I was I, I was sort of the opposite of you where I was a lot more wowed at it with it at the beginning and now I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's you know, I can deal with it, but you know, the 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 sh- the shine came off it pretty quickly and the and the holes started showing through and and the cracks and stuff like that, but I still like it, you know. Yeah, I I've come to like it a lot more than I did on the initial couple of viewings, because right after I finished the book, then I sat down and I watched the movie again. And I forget how many times this is now, three or four, I guess. But uh, I did. I, I liked it a lot more. It, it still comes down to that thing where I, I feel like I always have to, like, you know, preface or, or you know, say afterwards something like, well, you know, I'm still not quite on board, but yeah, I'm getting I'm getting less anal about that. You know, I, I, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, I can look at it as as its own thing, and I'm not quite as worked up about it as I was before. You know, am I am I now a fan? Am I totally on board? No, but like I said, you know, I, I, I've I've reexamined my feelings about the whole thing, and really, 
what I what I came up with is that I'm not so convinced anymore that that the original timeline has been completely you know done away with and, and usurped and we're never ever going to see it again. I I'm I, I would I would uh, expect that somewhere eventually we're gonna we're gonna see something of it again. There's You're just too get many creative things. types. There's always going to yeah. be your creative types that get into Star Trek, and yep. And no, no matter what, and and I realized today I also had an epiphany. Well, I'll get to this. Actually, this will go with the original series episode, so I'll wait to talk about that. But I had another little Star Trek epiphany last night. Cool about the, our perceptions of captains. <laughs> We'll hold that thought, and uh, let's take a quick little break, and we'll come back, and we'll get into uh, classic Star Trek. Yes. Why buy just a video game from Atari or Intellivision? Invest in the wonder computer of the 1980s for under $300, the Commodore VIC-20. Unlike games, it has a real computer keyboard. With the Commodore VIC-20... The whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. Under $300, the wonder computer of the 1980s, the Commodore VIC-20. Coming soon, Commodore brings you Gorf, the wonder arcade game, and Omega Race in home versions. Captain's Log, Stardate 3468.1. What in the name of... Am I seeing things? Do not bring that one. The one with the pointed ears. Welcome to Olympus, Captain Kirk. Let the lesson begin. Synapsis. Synapsis. I got synapsis running all down my nose. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Two True Freaks Star Trek Monthly Monday number 20. I'm Chris Honeywell. Whoa, you actually sound like all professional and shit. That's really cool. Yeah, here's a first time for everything. Well, I'm just here with my <laughs> snifter of brandy in the glorious Honeywell Mansion, surrounded by the Honeywell Bunnies. Hi, ladies. <laughs> snifter, huh? That's one of them redneck snifter. words. Snifter. Like, the dog went over and sniffed her ass. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Dear. So anyway... But we're All right. we're coming into the original series. Yes, Kirk yes, yes. Now, I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna make my apologies right now because I plan to like just totally completely geek out over this one. I'm I love this episode. I really really Why do. Don't you we'll marry into it. that. What? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna read. This episode is. Uh, According to the book here is episode 33. This is a second season episode called Who Mourns for Adonis. 
And uh, I'm going to read the uh, synopsis out of the Star Trek Compendium, the most thoroughly researched and complete Star Trek reference work ever published. Wow. So, um, how authoritative. You know, I'll be honest with you, I'm not all that crazy sometimes about some of the synopses. You know, we've had ones that we've read before out of this thing have uh, been a little bit wonky, but I actually like this one. This one uh, pretty much gets right to it, and uh, and the facts are pretty, pretty dead on. So here we go. It is um, <clears throat> in the vicinity of planet Pollux 4, the Enterprise encounters a huge green hand that materializes in space and holds the starship motionless. The hand is not flesh and blood, but a form of energy belonging to a humanoid figure who identifies himself as the god Apollo, the last survivor of the band of space travelers who visited old Earth and dwelt on Mount Olympus. Apollo wishes the Enterprise crew to stay on Pollux 4 to worship him. When Mr. Scott objects to the attention Apollo shows to Lieutenant Carolyn uh, Palamas, the engineer protests and is hurled through the air by a thunderbolt from Apollo's hand. Arg! <laughs> the god also demonstrates other abilities, including the power to become giant-sized yes. at will. I want so badly to make a giant-sized man thing reference, but I'm just going to leave it I was going to say, anyway. I have that power too, but I usually <laughs> I usually need some sort of stimulus. <laughs> Well, if you get giant size for more than hours, you know, seek immediate yes, uh, medical attention. Exactly. Just continue using medical <laughs> attention. <laughs> Kirk enlists the aid of Lieutenant Palamas, who has fallen in love with Apollo. With her aid, Kirk fights the alien and destroys his temple, the source of the entity's abilities. Seeing that he has lost both his cause and Carolyn, Apollo discontinues his physical existence, and the Enterprise continues on its way. That's a uh, a pretty good uh, pretty good synopsis there. Although uh, let's elaborate on it a little bit because you know I, I think that it uh, I didn't I think it doesn't do enough justice to the way the episode actually ends. Because I gotta admit right up front. Wow, this one's a tearjerker for me. This one gets me where I live. Every time I watch this one, I kind of tear up. You don't like I, I seeing the death of the old gods, huh? No, I don't. It really it really bugs me. Oh, by the way, before we go any further, this? I have decided, Uh-oh. if I can remember to do this from now on, that uh, just, just for, you know, just for shits and giggles, I thought we should also be mentioning when these shows actually started up since, you know, we kind of have that information right here at our fingertips. So this episode, Who Moans for Adonis, was first broadcast September 22nd, 1967. So it's an old one. <laughs> it predates Scott and I. It's that old. Yeah, it is that damn old. So anyway, man, I've got some notes and a half on this one, but I'm going to let you run first here. What, what do you got there? Well, anyway. First off, so right off at the beginning of it, so much for the advanced civilization, the you know the advancement of you know how people are so advanced in the future. When when um, we we first meet our heroine of this story on the bridge, you know, and she she walks away, and Scotty's all up up on her on her uh, up on her tip, taking her out to coffee and stuff, and and Kirk and McCoy are sort of picking on him a little bit. You know, and they leave, and I can't remember if it was McCoy or Kirk. Or I think Kirk is the one who says, you know, one day she's going to meet that right man. No. 
Was that McCoy? It's McCoy. Because, yeah, I made a McCoy, who's usually the most advanced of all of them, says that. And then Kirk just sort of like nods. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. damn right about that, women. (laughs) And I was just like, well, so much for feminism in the future, you know. There you go, yeah. But, you know, it was just a setup for the right man happens to be a, a Greek god. So... You know, and the one that's known for, you know, he's Adonis, you know. You know, that's what's in, in the title. He's, you know, known for his, well, all the Greek gods are, you know, and goddesses are, I, I would imagine, pretty hot, you know. They're Greek, <laughs> they're gods. So they, unless they choose to be, you know, the form of an animal or whatever. But, um, so that, that right up. And... And another thing that, that got me, and, and and I'm going to say right off the bat, too, I love this episode also. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to, you know, some of my notes happen to be mostly inconsistencies when he's like, uh, doesn't let Spot come down to the planet. Right. You know, I don't want him coming down. He reminds me of Pan, you know, and Spock is nothing like Pan. Pan's horny and drinking wine and... Yeah, he was like he's the god of mischief, a mischief or party, right? and yeah, he's the Pan was sex and drugs. It was is the sex and drugs and rock and roll. I I believe Pan is a, a satyr, you know, with the with mm-hmm. the with the loins of a goat. So so and you know he's like <laughs> uh, I don't need any sad faces. Pan didn't have a sad face. What what you what Pan? He bored me. Pan boring. Come on. You know, he was, you know, if, if somebody running around like drunk humping your leg is boring and a sad face, I wonder what happy faces are. And you knew it was all over, though, when when um, when Apollo got a look at his. What was it? Caroline. Carol. Yeah. The goddess Carol. When you got to look at her, you know in Star Trek that it's love because the Vaseline gets smeared all over the lens for the lady. Only the lady. Every other, you know, you can see every pore on Scotty's face. But as soon as it gets on her, it's like all over the yeah, lens. Yeah, all that glowy. Yeah. And that she always cracks hot. me up. Isn't she? Oh, well, it, was, it, was, you, you, it was great because you could tell the director made sure to have everybody react. As soon as he put her into into her outfit they were all everybody was just like ga 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 ba 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 right, granted this was 1960s you know television and they, they weren't gonna you know they weren't gonna go too awful far they liked their cheesecake gods, back then the ones that yeah where they'd have like one boob hanging out of the toga and stuff like that well he know, actually says that like, he's, you should have your left you know you know uh, he's i think he says left shoulder but it was it's your i think it was your left breast would be exposed yeah but there you go i believe what you're thinking of are amazons are the the amazons which are oh, a whole know. other story you know when it comes to that and i i wasn't it the amazons who who actually no that was a comic book i'm thinking about there's a comic <laughs> book where these women Adopted the the ways of the Amazon, and they actually take off their left breast in order to Yikes. to facilitate the use of a bow and arrow. It's their dedication to their their sisterhood. But I don't think that was an I, I don't think that was actual. I don't think the actual Amazons did that. I mean, you, 
Linda Carter didn't do that, right? <laughs> Thank God. But um, other than that, I love this episode. One note is my source for special edition Star Trek has dried up. All of a sudden, the place where the, the news group that I was downloading, they're all, they just all dropped off it. The same with uh, Next Generation. So I didn't see the special, you know. Oh, that's a shame because I actually I'm have curious, notes about that. But I was actually, my notes were that I was glad that I saw the old school with the, you know, crappy lasers and stuff because it was how I remembered it. And this one, I remember when I was a kid, this one was intense, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it was, you know, it was kind of sad at the end when, when he's, it was sad but necessary, you know, that, that they, you know, couldn't stay and worship him, obviously. But, of course, as an afterthought, you know, Kirk, as they, as they fly away, was like, you know, maybe we could have, you know, <laughs> rooted up a few people who would want to have lived that life, you know? <laughs> Right. And it was like, yeah, we could have. You know, they probably could have said, hey, look, you know, Apollo, it's not really my bag. But, you know, keep the chick, you know, whatever. You know, they were already resigned to the fact that she was going <laughs> to find the right man anyway and leave the service. So that's what she was doing anyway. Oh, so that's a good point. That yeah. shouldn't surprise him too much, you know. And uh, he, it wasn't like he was looking to go out and take over the galaxy. He just wanted his own little planet full of followers. So why yeah. not? Why not put up a poster on Earth? You know, hey, remember Apollo? <laughs> well, come on down. You, all you have to do is worship him. You know, put, throw a deer on the fire every once in a while. There, I'm sure there'd be plenty of people who would, you know, throw an orgy in his honor once a year. Yeah, right on. Sign me up. <laughs> you know, I don't. I, you know, but it would have taken all the drama. I love when he gets big. I love when he's like. You know, people of the Enterprise, <laughs> look said. at me now! Ha ha ha! You know, I tower above you. I, 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 I love it. <laughs> we need to see that in the uh, in the remastered because it really looks sharp. Um, I think the coloring is still a little bit off because he's a little bit. Uh, I don't know how you would describe it. His coloring is he's a little more. Like orange or or he's almost like swarthy looking uh-huh. when he's the giant Apollo because you can tell it's two different prints, you know. Right. Kind of yeah, well, together. it was like an optical print at first, so yeah. it was a projection. But they they um, did touch it up and they they um, did something with the matte line, so it does blend much much better than it ever did in the original. Now, how did um, they deal with the hand, which is the most awesome part of this? Yeah. And that part freaked me out as a kid when he's crushing the hull of the, the, the ship a little it, bit. It looks great. It really looks great because what, what happens now, and I can't believe I never noticed this before, but correct me if I'm wrong, but in the original version of this, is there actually a planet shown? I mean, when they're flying, it doesn't it mean it pretty much looks like they're just flying along in space and stuff. I don't think. I, I think them, you right? only see the hand and you only see Apollo's head in space on the view screen. Right. So in this one, you know, like it says in the in you know Kirk's log or whatever, they're actually around a planet. They're actually checking out a planet in the beginning of the episode, and you see the hand come up like out of orbit. Ooh. You know, like like off the surface, right up and you know, right out into space, and and basically reach out from the surface of the planet and snag them, and it's cool. Ooh. It looked really now I have good. To, I now I have to go scare that up. But even in the original, 
you know, the original print. I mean, how big and how cool of an idea was that for the 1960s? You know, I mean, because you can imagine sometimes that there's been stories where there's been some great science fiction concept, but they just looked at it and said, we, we have no idea <laughs> exactly. how we would pull this off. You know, we can't do this because we don't have the technology or we don't know how to visualize this you know, with our current state of technology. When you think about it, this almost seems like this should, that should be the, the case with this, you know, that this hand is going to reach out and grab a starship. No, that's totally not. But I think not, they pulled it off. It's totally really well. not out of the world of optical printing, the technology of optical printing at the time. It, it looks it looked good though. Well, Even it was it was made out of energy, so so it was a yeah. projection. So I mean, when you're doing an optical print, you're making a projection of a human hand. So right. you just bathe it in blue light, you know, like energy, and you know, overlight it a little bit so it glows, and then print it right on top of the Enterprise. You know, all they had to do was film the guy's hand. Like, I mean, in in the original version, it's just a, a disembodied hand, and you see it from, you know, coming straight towards them. And then they do the standard, you know, let's try to pull away to the left, pull away to the right, and it, and it keeps with them. And then, you know, the next thing you see, it's just like clamped right over the saucer section. Yeah. And uh, that, like, between that and um, the when when in the um, episode when they put the Enterprise in Lucite, those yeah. those two always freaked me out when I was a kid. Those two were always like really cool and freaked me out. I'm really surprised that I like this one so much now. Because when I was a kid, I couldn't stand this episode. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was because I thought that Apollo looked kind of faggy or what it was. I don't think he, I looks, can just he looks like Patrick Duffy from The Man From No, but I mean, from... when I was a kid, though, is what I mean. Because mm-hmm. I can remember this one would come on and Randy and I, we'd watch the beginning and we liked the part. We always did like the part with the hand. We always thought the hand part was cool. But as soon as Apollo showed up, it was like, oh, God, this guy, you know? And that was it. You know, we, we, we typically wouldn't watch it because there was just something about it. We didn't, you know, he, he prances around in his little toga thing and all that. We just thought he was, you know, whatever. And, and his, we didn't, yeah. Lighten his sandals. We didn't watch it. And it wasn't until back in the, gosh, this must have been the 90s when the when the VHS tapes started to come out. And they were releasing, you know, like one one episode per tape. And I started to collect them. And I got to this, and I remember buying this one and going, oh, you know, I need to have it for my collection. But then I watched it as an adult, and I was like, wow, why didn't I like this as a kid? This is a great episode. You know, I finally got it. You know, I was I was adult enough to understand the concepts behind it and what it was going for. It's and like I, the and Tinkerbell the... story with a sad ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, you know, with everybody who believes in Tinkerbell. <laughs> yeah clap your hands or whatever that's, say you that's believe a in good, yeah that's a good way to put it and basically that's I, I what just, nobody would believe in him so and i don't i don't necessarily agree with the synopsis of it where he just decides that he's gonna disassociate i think once they blast his temple he doesn't have a choice but to disassociate right and he just sort of accepts it because that's it you know i think that i think he was probably there because he was the last of the gods who would not give up the idea of having worshippers, you know, not move on past that. So it wasn't until his source of power was actually gone and he started to fade away that he was like, you were right, you know, you know, a sort of deathbed, you know, 
conversion <laughs> right and uh went into whatever state of consciousness that they go into that's not death but something else throwing how do you say throwing Throwing themselves upon the wind wind or something like that that. which i I really like i like that scene at the end it it really it you know it may sound corny but it really does move me i really like that and uh, i like the way it's acted and everything i would have cherished you cared for you i would have loved you as a father loves his children did i ask so much We've outgrown you. You asked for something we can no longer give. Carolyn. I loved you. I would have made a goddess of you. I've shown you my open heart. See what you've done to me. You were right. Athena. You were right. The time has passed. There is no room for gods. Forgive me, my old friends. Take me. And I like that at the end, Kirk and crew, they they really do feel bad about this. You know, it wasn't a light decision for them. You know, it wasn't something that they, they could do and just go, well, you got what he deserved and yep. fly off. You know, they, they, maybe they did it and then, yeah, maybe <laughs> Scott. <laughs> I wish we hadn't had to do this. So do I. They gave us so much. The Greek civilization, much of our culture and philosophy came from a worship of those beings. The way they began the golden age. Would it have hurt us, I wonder, just to have gathered a few laurel leaves? But, you know, I mean, Kirk and McCoy especially, they're, they're kind of torn up about it. You know, they, they feel bad for the guy because I think that's, uh, you know, one of my biggest notes was Michael Forrest is the actor that plays Apollo. I think he's excellent. He... he takes what could have come off as a really silly performance or a really goofy concept and he's so sincere and and acts it so well that I really buy it and I and I, I really like the way that he comes across in this you know in uh, I like the part where he's explaining to Carolyn his predicament you know how he wound up there how earth changed and and the gods kind of fell out of favor and that's how he wound up where he is and just how very long he's been there and and he's lonely and you know when she comes and talks to kirk that's one of her big things that she said you know he's so lonely this is just going to break his heart and at the end of the episode 
when she really, I mean, really, when you look at it, Carolyn's really the one that takes him down. Yeah, the Enterprise is what, you know, destroys the temple, but it's really Carolyn. Because beauty killed the beast. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I feel that in in his, you know, when, when he gives his little speech before he casts himself out into space, that's really what he's saying is, you know... That you know, she she brought him low, and and this is her fault, and he can't live this way anymore, and so he just casts himself out. There. I love that. I love that ending. It, it's it's uh, you know, I think some of the very best Star Trek episodes, you know, classic Star Trek episodes, end in that bittersweet, slightly eerie feeling at the end where you know it's it's almost like an empire strikes back ending you know where where it's not really so much a victory is that yeah they survived but i think there was a cost i think that was a classic yeah that was a classic science fiction theme of that time you know i think science fiction was more like that at that time you know that's very true uh let's see here okay now uh there's a cur- uh, there's a part right at the beginning after the the hand reaches out and snags the Enterprise, where they're trying to free themselves, you know, and, and Kirk has Sulu try to rock the ship and all these different things. There's one part where he tells Sulu, he says forward tractor, uh, he says forward tractor beams, and then he says adjust to repel, meaning that they're basically going to shoot the tractor out as a repulsor beam. I just wanted to point this out because an awfully big deal uh-huh. was made of uh-huh. Wesley quote-unquote inventing this ability in the episode the naked now of next gen that we reviewed not long ago and uh kirk's doing it as a standard maneuver it seems there you go yep so i thought that was worth pointing out i uh i failed to make note of who scored this episode but i just wanted to say i really like the music in this one I, i this is uh this has got a classic star trek score to it and i really enjoy the music in this one also, all seven of the principles, or you know, what I guess we've come to consider the principles, are in this one. You know, you got Kirk, Spock, McCoy. You got Ahura, Scotty, Chekhov, Sulu, and we even have Mister Kyle in yes, this one. Yes, that's right. And he actually does something important other than just you know hang out in the transporter room or whatever. So I thought that was pretty cool. I love Scotty's line. When Apollo says something to the effect of, you know, you'll feel my wrath or something like that. And Scotty says, I would like to point out that we are quite capable of some wrath ourselves. (laughs) I thought that was great. That's a great line. And uh, Kirk has a really good moment where, you know, a lot of times I think it's easy to forget Kirk is a really good commander. Right. You know, he's he's yeah, sure he's the captain. We all know, you know, Captain Kirk. But sometimes I think that there's a tendency to forget that he's literally a captain. He's literally commanding people. Men and women are, are you know, under his command. And every once in a while he'll he he does things or he says things or he acts in certain ways that just really reach out to me and go, That's very realistic. You know, that's a that's a real world type of thing. And in this one, the moment is, uh, it's right after one of the times where Scotty gets hurt. And everybody's kind of gathered around and they're talking and they're, they're comparing notes and making sure Scotty's okay. And it's very subtle, but Kirk just turns to Chekhov and says, Mr. Chekhov, I think you, uh, what's he say? I think you'd better continue your investigation. 
And he just says it like that. It's not, you know, he's not doing the over-the-top Shatner thing or anything. He just, it's just one simple line, but just the way he delivers it, it's very realistic. You know, I mean, that's the sort of thing that a boss would say to a subordinate. Hey, I think you need to get back to work. You know, it's like, uh, you know, when I used to work different management jobs and stuff, it's just one of those things that every once in a while, you know, you'd, you'd have yeah, you somebody, have you know, an out of control and, customer and starts throwing stuff around and then you kick him out <laughs> and, and all the employees are sort of standing around staring out the door. Right, right. What the fuck are yeah. you looking at? Get back to work. <laughs> got time to I mean, lean, like you got the, time to clean, mister. That's what I was going to say. You got time to lean, you got time to clean. That's it, exactly. Mr. Chekhov, you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Get busy with that tricorder. But, yeah, I, I, I like that part. Um, as cool as I thought the remastering of the hand reaching out was and all that and some of the other remastered effects in this, the one that I was really hoping to see... Um, I, I don't think it was all that great, which was the destruction of the temple. Because I, I think that that sequence of the original cut of this looks very dated. I think the special effects are kind of wonky in that part. Uh-huh. And I'm sad to report that I don't think they look much better. To my to my eye, the only thing I caught that looked like it was any difference is it seems like it's a little bit sharper. It's a little bit more in focus and they changed the color of the phaser beams because I'm pretty sure that they were colored red they were, in this episode. And they were just a, a like solid red line. Right. Well, they're pretty much still solid lines, but now they're blue, which I think brings them in line with, with most of the other episodes where the phasers were depicted as being blue bolts instead of red. Uh-huh. Beyond that, I didn't really see a difference. It's still lights you know the temple lights up red and then kind of wavers like a heat effect and then just kind of shimmers away so i i didn't think that they really improved on that whole thing there and might I not have been a lot just, they could do with it well the, that, that's true it's sort of like the janice lester switching bodies things you know they could clean, he, they could clean it up a little bit and stuff but they couldn't really do much with the original effect because it was so involved right now it's it's really cool or at least I thought this was really cool that for years now you know since that VHS copy that I bought and watched I've had this idea in my head whenever I would walk away from this episode that how cool would it be that they all get back to the ship and the episode actually ends with like like McCoy you know coming to Carolyn you know, like in her quarters or in sick bay or something like that, and reporting to her at the end that that she was pregnant, you know, by Apollo. And for some reason, that was just this idea I had in my head for the longest time. And every time well, I watch, they this obviously episode, do it. You know, yeah, I think it is pretty obvious that at some point that they get it on, whether whether it's consenting, like when, when they go to that one commercial break, break and he's locking lips with her. Or later on when it looks like he may more than likely rape her when she spurns him in that one part. And he gets, like, really huge and, and starts the big... Greek gods you know, do that stuff, stuff, too. That. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of looks like he's trying to, you know, have his way with her, you know, forcibly. That's frowned upon in Kirk's time. Yeah. It's frowned upon <laughs> in our time. Frowned upon our time, idea. yeah. But uh, anyway, you know, that was just one of those ideas that's always kind of stuck in my head that, that I kind of wish that they'd gone that direction. Well, I'll be damned if I didn't find it was somewhere. It was either in the compendium or online or somewhere where I was doing some research for this one. 
whatever I was reading says that in an earlier draft of this episode, that actually was the ending where Carolyn was pregnant by Apollo. And apparently it's even in the uh, James Blish adaptation of this story in whichever book that that's in, you know, one of those James Blish books. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to check that out. I thought that was cool. I just got a whole bunch of them. I'll see if I can find it in one of them. Well, then I was reading, I think this was on, I don't know, Wikipedia or something like that. There's a character called Mark McHenry who uh, is from the novel series Star Trek New Frontier written by Peter David. And this character turns out that he is a descendant of uh, Carolyn Palamas. And it turns out over the course of those books that he has inherited the powers of Apollo. So he's like Apollo's, like, I think it said it was something like great-great-grandson or something to that effect. And I tell you, I've been wanting to check those books out for the longest time. Now I really want to read those. Uh I really want to read that because that sounds very, very cool. I like that, you know, know, it's obvious, you know, that that Peter David really has a knowledge and passion for Star Trek. If if he was able to latch on to such an obscure piece of Star Trek trivia as that and and actually spin a character out of it, then that's something that I definitely want to read. But uh, I kind of need... I might need some listener help with that one because really the thing that's held me back from starting into those books is I'm missing book five. And I didn't really want to dig into those books until I located book five. And then that way I've got, I don't know, the first quite a few of the books. There's still some in the later later numbers the higher numbers that i still would have to track down but that would get me started anyway that i'd have like the first i don't know like six or eight or something like that so i'm not asking for a freebie i'm just saying if somebody uh can help me track that down on the cheap or what let me know i'd like to snag that book and actually start in on that series i really want to read those books um lastly something i would really love to see or read of in one of the books or comics or something like that I always thought it would be really cool if somebody tied together the story that Apollo gives in this episode of what happened to the gods that he was a part of and a character called Armus from Skin of Evil. Now, I don't know if you ever saw that, Chris. He was the black slime character that killed Tasha Yar. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because in that episode, well, I I tell you what, I'm going to right here. I'm going to play you a segment from that episode. You sound so alone. I am alone. Abandoned. Who deserted you? Creatures whose beauty now dazzles all who see them. They would not exist without me. You were together. They perfected a means of bringing to the surface all that was evil and negative within. Erupting, spreading, connecting. In time, it formed a second skin, dank and vile. You. Yes. They discarded you and left. And here I am. Oh, so he would be a... He basically came from them. Yeah. That would make total sense. I think that would be cool. I think that's a neat idea, you know, because he mentioned, you know, these creatures of beauty, you know, and how they, 
you know, they, they, you know, basically purged themselves of all the, the, the bad things about them and split, leaving him behind. And I'm thinking, you know, what if he was talking about, you know, Apollo in this uh-huh. traveling band of gods, you know, either, either before or after they left Earth? I think that's a neat concept, you know, and, and I always liked Armis. I always wanted to see more happen with that character. Some, something to take another look at that character, you know, and, and his whole, cause I, I just think he's a fascinating character, you know, that, that there were no redeeming qualities to him whatsoever. He was just pure, evil, pure evil. Yeah. And I like that idea. And I, I think that that's something that they, they could, you know, that, that warranted some further exploration or whatever. So, I think that's a an interesting idea. I'd like to hear what the listeners think about that. But that's pretty much all I've got for this episode. If you haven't ever seen this one or you haven't seen it in a long time or you know it was never one of your favorites or whatever, I would say check it out again, you know, give it a give it a fresh look because I really really dig this one. I I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think this is one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. I'm going to put it right up there. You know, when, when we're all done with this examination way, way down the road. We'll have I to do a top five episode yeah. or something. Yeah, that would be a yeah, great idea. We'll take a look back. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if this ends up making my top five. I really like it. I don't it know what I mean, but I really like this episode, too. I'm the host of the hit series, Rescue 911. I thought that was Robert Stack. Robert Stack, are you insane? Listen, Hooker, what I've done will be puzzled over and studied and followed forever. People will have conventions, posters, books, CD-ROMs. Sit back, you freaking on Messiah, you're a movie of the week. Your t-shirt. T-shirts? That'd be great. Why didn't I think of that? We're here. This is it. I give the commands on this vessel. Helm, hard aboard. I'm picking up a vessel of unknown origin. It's a Chevy van. Envy me? You are me. No! What's in the box? Whatever you do, stay away. What the is in the box? Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, no, play no, the no, song. No, 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 no. Mr. Tambourine Man! Me! 
Mr. Demolini! No! Mr. Demolini! Alright everybody, we're back with Star Trek Monthly Monday. We're going to be heading into the DC Comics section of the show. I'm kind of excited about this. We're going to be talking about Star Trek number 13. Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, we're this is uh, Star Trek DC number 13, and I think Scott has painstakingly crafted a, a little synopsis of what happens in this action-packed episode, issue, episode. I did. Issue-sode. issue that's what issue, I should episode, start whatever. <laughs> issue sodes. Yeah. Issue sode. I like that idea. So this is the uh, April 1985 issue sode. Uh, cover on this one, uh, the, the penciler is Tom Sutton, and the inker is, uh, it's listed here as Robert R. Smith, who I'm assuming is that, that's uh, comic um, inker Bob Smith. I, I'm assuming it's the same guy. Anyway, uh, thank you to Chris Johnson, by the way, for the uh, 411 on that. I could not find cover credits for this issue anywhere that I looked on the internet. I don't know why. But uh, I really like the cover on this one. It doesn't it doesn't look like Tom Sutton to me. It actually looks like... Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure who it looks like to me. It just didn't really look like a, like a no. typical Tom Sutton drawing. But I really, really like uh, how Kirk is drawn on this one. It's... Uh, Kirk and it looks like he's in like a sewer or something and he's surrounded by all these guys that look like you know the refugees from the road warrior or something one of them's pointing a phaser at him and he's going David so it's a really cool uh, dynamic cover this is David <laughs> oh there's so many in the audience that are not going to get that joke unfortunately that's really sad makes me feel very old this issue is written by uh, Mike W. Barr the interior artists are again Tom Sutton and he's inked by Ricardo Villagran. Story is entitled Masquerade. Kirk pulls off the ultimate deception, appearing before the High Council of the Evil Empire. They are the, the uh, mere universe equivalent of Starfleet, basically. And he's telling them, let me lead our invasion forces into the other universe. So after some debate, it is agreed upon that after the stolen Excelsior is closely examined by the Empire, Kirk will lead the fleet. Aboard the captured Klingon bird of prey, Spock and Mirror Spock narrowly avoid being blasted by Federation forces as they activate an ion imbalance and disappear. In the Mirror Universe, Kirk, McCoy, Sulu, Chekhov, Uhura, and Savik are shown around by Marlena so that they can kind of see for themselves just how twisted and different this reality is from their native one. Savick reports that she has learned the nature of the schism between the two dimensions, and it has to do with the Mirror Universe's Earth having been conquered by the Romulans during their legendary war of about 100 years ago. After Earth united to throw off their oppressors, the Empire was formed so that not only will Earth never again be conquered, but so that from now on, we'll be doing the conquering. God damn it. So anyway, a fellow officer, Captain Blaine, starts hitting on Marlena, and uh, Kirk starts a good old-fashioned bar brawl when he uh, 
basically just beats the shit out of the guy. That's a pretty cool sequence. I like that part. So impressed is Marlena by this that she takes Kirk back to her pad for some uh, little bit of space nookie. And during this part, I was thinking, God, it took Kirk long enough. I mean, this isn't this the first time he gets some in 13 issues, I'm pretty sure? In the comic, yeah, but it's the second so anyway, time with Marlena. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Here. <laughs> so Marlena rouses Kirk in the middle of the night and takes him to the secret lair of the underground resistance where he comes face to face with the Mirror Universe David Marcus, Kirk's son who you'll remember died at the hands of Klingons in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. You know, his, Kirk's son in his own you know, universe. So anyway, quickly realizing that this is, quote-unquote, good Kirk, the two guys, they seemingly become fast friends, and they lay plans to overthrow the Empire. But their plans are overheard by an Imperial spy in their midst. Beaming back to the Excelsior with David tagging along, our heroes set out to implement their plan. Kirk is ordered to rendezvous with the fleet, but detours to answer a distress call. Turns out the call was from the two Spocks. Their ship was left powerless after they fled to this mirror universe. So there's a bit of drama with both Spocks collapsing and being rushed to sickbay and all that, but uh, it turns out that they're going to be okie-dokie. So Kirk and crew, they meet up with the fleet, and they receive a rousing pep talk from Admiral Turner. Onward to victory and all that sort of thing. So just then, Turner gets a phone call, and after receiving an update from the snitch, you know, the uh, the Imperial spy that was spying on David and Kirk earlier, Turner issues new orders to the fleet. Destroy the Excelsior. And that's the cliffhanger we end on for this issue. And I just got to say, wow, I liked this one, man. This was a solid I'm, issue. <clears throat> pardon me. I'm going to pull a Scott Gardner on this one and say, I love this issue. <laughs> issue sewed. It, yes, it, issue <laughs> this sewed. issue sewed. I will, I will say definitively to this point is my favorite of the DC Star Treks that we've read. I I loved it. Wow. I, I, I just tore through it. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, yeah, Jesus, you you're gonna through. live over there or what? I want to live. I, I it, <laughs> it, it, it's like the mirror. Un- I've been digging this whole mirror universe story, but this is like the mirror yes. universe of the Star Wars Marvel comics that we've been reading, where they just said, "You know what? Fuck the movie continuity. We have no idea what's going to happen." We want Spock back. And they're even making sort of overtures of you could have David Marcus back into the continuity of of, yeah. of Star Trek. You know, Kirk could actually get a chance to in some way reconnect with his son. Very interesting idea. And his son is a good is somebody that Kirk can vibe with. He's not a total prick like everybody else in this universe. His son's a resistance fighter. So he's he's sort of right. his son is is not very different than his son in the other one. He even has a healthy hatred for his dad in the same way that David did. And and uh, and as far as Spock goes, hey, Spock is back awake. You know, I mean, I, I have to say they couldn't have known what was going to happen in Star Trek Four. I mean, they knew Spock was back. No, not, you know, not, it's not, not like they were going to come into no. Star Trek Four and go, 
pull an Alien 3 where it's like, oh, by the way, Spock died in the opening credits, you know. Uh, it's not going to happen, you know. So they knew <laughs> Spock was going to come back, but who knew what was go- or you know what condition he was going to be in, but hey, they just he's Spock's back. It's kind of a big deal, actually. This is where Spock is really he's mm-hmm. conscious and doing his Spock thing and I love where he's doing his Spock thing with the other, you know, and they're referring to each other as Mr. Spock back and forth. I love it. It's a little ridiculous, yeah. but I love it. I just, I, I love this, this issue. So I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. It's cheesy in the way I like it to be cheesy. Kirk is being audacious in it. You know, he's, He's pulling off the big plan and improvising all the way through it. You know, they're they're just going nuts with the story, and I love it. It, it needed this. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest compliment I, I feel that I can pay this, you know, this whole storyline, really, but particularly this issue, it feels yeah. like Star Trek. And you know, that seems like a simple thing to say, but that's so important because this is everything that the Marvel series just didn't ever seem to get right. This just feels like a good old-fashioned classic Kirk episode. It's just it's hitting all the beats right down to Kirk yeah. getting some. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, it really does have all the elements. You know, Kirk being very over-the-top Kirk with, like you say, his big, bold plan. You know, he, he gets to have a bare-knuckle fist fight in one point. You know, he beats the shit out of that guy, which I really like. And then a couple pages later, he's, you know, he's banging the, the girl, and it's just, yeah, it's great. You know, he's 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 very bold and daring with going to meet the underground. I mean, there there's every opportunity he might not live through that experience, you know, but just through the force of his personality, he pulls it all together right up until that excellent cliffhanger. When, when Turner realizes he's been had and, and says, oh, well, you know, he orders the destruction of, of here's, Kirk and the Excelsior. The thing. I think they trust Turner a little too much. I, I don't, I think he was, I think Kirk really thoroughly shamed him by not killing him in the fight, you know, not giving him his honor. And I think if he was like, Kirk's a traitor, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, sour grapes, Turner, you know, go back to work and peeling potatoes, you know. Was that Turner or was that, what was that guy's name? It was name? a different guy. I think oh, it was Turner. okay. Was I it? just got confused on that, that fact, maybe. That's, uh, what the hell oh, is that? Okay. Oh, Blaine was that guy's name. But yeah, you know what? Now that you say that, he does look I like just sort Turner, of got though, does confused. So, okay. Yeah, he was like a like a, another captain. He's I, I guess he's like a rival captain within Starfleeters. I don't know. He just yeah. He I guess he's a rival for Mar- Marlena's affections with. Yeah. I don't really see that's the thing that scene didn't. As much as I really enjoy this, now that I look well, at that that part, that and, part and this, there didn't quite in this universe. Make sense to me. If you have something good like a pretty girl or money or position. I guess it's it's sort of portrayed as your that target. is always in play. Somebody's always going to be jockeying for it, and you always have to be the top dog on yeah. it until another top dog comes and defeats you. So if if you have a girlfriend, you're constantly fighting off other people who think they can 
take her away from you or whatever, outmaneuver you. I, I I just love how Kirk handles himself in that situation. He does he 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 actually it's probably it's very interesting. I'm thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, Kirk's had, you know, many years since his first experience with the mirror universe to think about it and and Kirk is portrayed as a man of action but also as a man of thought and he's probably molded molded over and when he's back in this universe He's not as hesitant as he was the first time. He knows what to do, and he knows a little bit more how it works, and uh, he gets right to it. He's not—he's not so hesitant to, uh, you know, potentially spill blood or to, you know, cause harm in this universe because life is so cheap here anyway. So he's not as steadfastly like I must act like I'm in my other universe you know he adapts more to it and I like that it it shows a more mature or you know adaptable Kirk and I love how I love you know they they still got the trolley cars and stuff like that you get to see a little of you know evil San Francisco and it's it's interesting because this is pre-Star Trek 4 right and here we are at yes. Alcatraz mm-hmm. You know, and in yeah, San true. Francisco and cable yeah. cars and stuff like that and you know, it's 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 interesting. Prescient. What I like is that I, I think that uh my my first reaction when I when I read this in, in the part where Savick was explaining the nature of the schism between the two universes and the whole thing with the Romulans my my first reaction was well i guess that didn't last or that didn't hold up but now that i think about it there's not really any reason why that wouldn't jibe i think with what came later you know because in later star trek series you know right. later incarnations like uh ds9 and uh and enterprise we would revisit the mirror universe you know a few times and would learn a little bit more about the nature of it and things like that. And, and Enterprise actually gave an origin story of its own. But still, unless I'm missing something continuity-wise or what, I don't think there's any reason why both of these versions couldn't exist. You know, the, the whole Romulan thing could be just added on, you know, to yep. another layer of why these universes are so different. So I, I like that. I, I think that's pretty cool. Because I actually like the explanation that's given here that, you know, it's not so much that it's, you know, like you and I talked about before, that it's necessarily the evil version of everybody. Is that they're just, they're simply more aggressive. They, they've well, gone now on they're, the yeah, offensive. Well, now they're products of the, the, you know, of their environment now. So, they're you know, they're no more right. evil than any other people. They're people that have adapted to a, a more cutthroat civilization. So they're not I by like nature. It's like it's more that. nurture, I imagine, than nature in in this. Um, guys. Uh, yeah. Hey, Scott, Chris. Yeah. Um, do do you need me for anything I else? Because I didn't even think you were still here. <laughs> well, I was just yeah, sitting I, on Skype. You're like, do you want to come on Star Trek Monthly Monday? And you you know me, I, I like being on podcasts. And I'm like, shit, I, know, I haven't I even read this. I forgot all issue. about it. I got so, so wound not, up and yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, honestly, not to be rude or anything, but you know, 
Aren't you on like enough shows? I mean, just you know, just just kind of piss off. Well, fuck you, Gardner. Fuck you, and fuck everyone that looks like you. Okay, no, no, that's a lot of people. No, no, look, I have been putting up with your shit for like six months now, and now I'm just going to air all the fucking grievances I have with you, just right here on your own goddamn show. I'm coming into your house and I'm pissing on your carpet. How do you like that? Okay, moving on. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed the art in this one. The spaceships were and there's spaceships galore, all types of models and and various yeah. variations of the Starfleet and evil Starfleet ships flying all around, and they all look gorgeous. For, you know, pretty much for the most part. The only thing that they didn't do is they didn't get back. The the uh, uh, an original Enterprise. I thought for sure they were going to steal the Mirror Universe Enterprise, and Kirk would have an Enterprise again. That would be really cool. Well, they still have the saucer section. That's from that, true. That Mirror Universe one. I'm still curious what's going to end up happening with that. It's going if, into if the that ever Starfleet comes up again of the somewhere. Ark of the Covenant warehouse. But I'm telling you, this <laughs> this I, this inspired me so much. It inspired me. I'm gonna. I'm going to pull out my melodica of annoyance now and play the Star Trek fight theme because <laughs> this is so awesome. <laughs> there we go. It has to be a good All right. it has to be a good issue so to get me to play my melodica. And, and this was a good one. I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. I'm, I'm hoping these have been getting better and better. I hope this all, I hope this keeps getting better. <laughs> I like where it's going. I think we need to we need to start a pool on uh, between the two of us of, of what issue uh, Mirror David's <laughs> going to check yeah, out. Yeah, he's going to pull a red shirt. Yeah. And I kind of wonder. See, this is I'm the saying thing. This is what's issue. so funny is I, I know I've read this story, I but I'm saying next time. Oh, it, it could be that soon. I, you know, in my synopsis, I wrote, where was it? You know that that he and Kirk seemingly strike up a friendship because I don't know that I'm entirely no, convinced. They, well, that David's he's got as benevolent as David's seems, got some you know? Kirk blood in him so he probably does still doesn't completely trust good or evil kirk you know especially just yeah so we, yeah we'll we'll see or you know or the evil david could mm-hmm. david could be a turncoat himself he could be another mole in the organization but hey you know i forgot right. to mention this in the last one but since we're still in kirk era i had a, a little epiphany the other day of why a lot of people like this was when I, I think it was Hair Metal Hero who wanted us to pick our ultimate bridge, and why almost everybody's going to pick Kirk. And maybe we've sort of mm-hmm. gone over this before, but I think it's just I think Kirk is always going to be the the most favored captain by people our age and you know our kids' age and their generation because he's just the, still the most twentieth century Kirk. We can really identify with him and and i was thinking you know every people like picard too 
But Picard is actually a little more alien, you know. He's advanced. Humans have advanced <laughs> the the state now. That at that point to where they are a little annoying to us and a little insufferable to us because they're further away from us, you know. <laughs> Kirk was more locked into his primal stage like us, you know. So we're always going to have that visceral connection with Kirk. And, yeah. Well, you know what's funny? I'm going to pull pull back the curtain for just a moment. <laughs> Tomorrow, I need to... It's, it's, it's shit or get Ooh. off the pot time. I have got to write oh an essay for my English class. And I have to do a compare and contrast ah. essay. I've already picked my subject, which is Kirk ah. and Picard. And I, I'm going to use some of That's what fine. you just said in that. Because I think you've made some excellent observations and excellent points. So I'm going to uh, feel free to I'm steal going, your I'm your going ideas, to expound in those a little bit in our next segment. Because I have a, oh, a, little, cool. more, a little more on the Picard side to say, but... It was more inspired by the episode that we're going to be doing in the next generation. So I'll, I'll I'll put the other half of my little theory up during that s- section. Cool. Well, I think we're ready to go to break and uh, and come back with that last section. But Excellent. before we do that, you know, uh, speaking of shit that we forgot to talk about in previous episodes, I was thinking about something the other day in regards to the very end of Bread and Circuses that we talked about with uh, with Kirk talking about. Yes. Um, you know, basically about yeah, and, Christ. And there's a reference. In, um, isn't William Shatner yes. a Jew? But I don't know. If I just thought William that worth Shatner pointing might out. Be, so is so is so is Spock. But Kirk, I don't think Kirk or Spock are are Jewish. But I don't know. I'd love to Nimoy know that. And, I, I, it seems to me that at some maybe it was one of the novels or something that it did say that possibly like Amanda. Spock's mother might have some Jew in her she got or something some like Jew that. In her. As... <laughs> but well, you know, I mean the the famous Vulcan, you know, live long and prosper sy- symbol. Leonard Nimoy got that right. from I I I don't know if it was like a traditional Hasidic Jewish ceremony or something, but he saw someone make in some... in a very traditional yeah. ceremony make that hand gesture and said, "Hmm, I'm going to going to remember that." And uh and used it in, yeah, and William Shatner. He's also a Canadian. Mm-hmm. He's one of them Canadian Jews. Part of the Canadian Jewish conspiracy. <laughs> Wake up, America! Get the rope. Mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic beta zoids, transport a deadly claw, visitor from LA law, photons, no Kirk, Captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, Council Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Next 
Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. So what's the cause of my headache? I haven't the slightest idea. An old enemy is playing tricks with the captain's mind. <laughs> In a deadly game of revenge. You murdered my only son. Now he's forced to relive a terrifying battle. Look for a silver sphere. Destroy it! On Star Trek The Next Generation. My brain hurts! Alright, we're back, and coming up is The Next Generation, and we're going in chronological order, and I don't, was Scott, what number is this? Is this episode 6 or 7 of The Next Generation? It, there's some I don't confusion. know. It's the next one after the last one. This one's called The Battle. <laughs> or is it just the, Battle? It's The Battle, The Battle. The Battle. The The is very important. The Battle. No, it's not. <laughs> it's The Battle. Now, this uh, episode first aired the week of November 16th, 1987. God, that makes me feel really, really old. Anyway. It's 20 years after it it was 20 years after the last one. Yep. That's cool. All right. So it says here, uh, while waiting to meet the Ferengi, Picard is amazed when his old ship, the Stargazer, turns up. But the unusual headache he's uh, he's been having increases when Damon Bach of the Ferengi welcomes him as the hero of the Battle of Maxia, the incident in which Picard had to abandon the Stargazer after it was mysteriously attacked. To his own crew's amazement, Bach presents the derelict starship to Picard as a gift, most uh, unmercenary for a Ferengi. But there's method to his madness. At Maxia, Bach's son was the other captain who was killed after attacking the Stargazer. Bach has forged log tapes on Stargazers showing Picard firing first. Ah, see, he did like a, like a George Lucas thing, you know, where uh, Greedo shot first. So anyway, as you know, they should have like, uh, like T-shirts made up for conventions now that says like, you know, Picard fired first or some stupid thing. Anyway... As Riker, Data, and LaForge work to clear their captain, Wesley finds that energy waves from the old ship match Picard's brain scan. Brain scan! He has stumbled onto the other part of Box Trap, a mind-controlled device planted among Picard's old belongings. (laughs) Aboard his ship, Picard is reliving the Battle of Maxia, and is about to use the acclaimed Picard maneuver, but with the Enterprise cast as the enemy ship. Data devises a defense for the tactic, and Riker breaks through to Picard, who destroys the device. Before leaving, they see Bach removed from command for insanity, demonstrated by his (laughs) giving away Starcaser. (laughs) And that's pretty much this episode. And, uh... This one's a real mixed bag for me because you know I I kind of enjoy this one. the hell out of this episode. I do enjoy it, but holy shit, do I have a laundry list of <laughs> issues with this? I mean, there's this is one of those ones where you kind of I, I find myself enjoying it despite myself because by all rights, I really shouldn't like this one just because it's got so much wrong with it. 
but it's it's strangely compelling. It's strangely well, enjoyable. On on the flip side of my Kirk argument that I was making, and this one, this one gives a lot of shading to Picard's character, to where you know people give P- Picard a a lot of shit for not being the man of action that Kirk is, but this one maybe sort of gives you the impression that um, Picard had a past where he was sort of having Kirk adventures and now he's more matured and cerebral about it. But at one time he was a little more of an action-packed, not really a two-fisted captain and probably wasn't, you know, building the beast with two backs like Kirk, but, you know, who can? So, you know, it, it sort of made it, to me, seem a little, you know, make a little more sense why Picard is the way he is. And it's just fun. What this a is, grumpy old fucker, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and the thing about it is, yeah, he's a grumpy old fucker, but this sets the, the, the beginning precedent of Picard being sort of often being the brunt of some sort of Philip K. Dick-like mindfuck experiment episode, you know? This is the first one where somebody just fucks with it, takes a point in his past and just fucks with him, you know? Makes it, puts him, you know, screws up his mind, you know? They're literally like, you know, the Ferengi captain sitting over there twisting his globe and Picard's having migraines over on the Enterprise, which I guess have been <laughs> outlawed in the in in their century. Yeah, I'm going to get to out. that in a moment. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's going to happen so many times to him in the future. You know, I mean, we were talking a, a while back about that that um, Star Trek story that they're making that Kali's making about the Mind Sifter. And, yes. you know, and what a dramatic story that is. But, you know, here's one where Picard's got it on Kirk, man. Picard's had his mind sifted, twisted, integrated into the Borg, absorbed. You know, he, he's he's just been through the, the gamut, you know, brainwashed and then deprogrammed. He's He's had it all happen to him. So it's a wonder he can even, like spell his own name you know by the by the time he probably retires from starfleet you know so Maybe that's why his hair fell out oh yeah 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 stress <laughs> and this this is just this sets the precedent of it and i love it i love <laughs> and actually it's funny because it's very much like the one with what was it uh, lonely among us when he gets um taken over by the alien entity and and he's very much like Kirk is when when he's taken over by someone else and is trying to convince the rest of the crew that he's still good old Jean Luc Picard. He takes on that sort of like fake casual, yeah thing, yeah. And 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 it always comes off fake because Picard is not a casual guy. So whenever something's fucky with him, whenever Picard's going like, "Hey, no problem, don't worry about me." Go about your business. I'm just doing what a captain does, right? Okay, well, get about here. They should be like, all right, he's been taken over by an entity or somebody's <laughs> right. fiddling with his brain, you know? 
Well, this is still early in the first season, too, but I would I would think that by the end of the series that they probably would have got to that point where they're like, oh, Christ, he, he's possessed again. I'm telling you what would have just ended all the problems here is if somebody would have just gone to the cupboard, got some tinfoil out, wrapped it around his skull, <laughs> formed him a nice little tinfoil cap, and he would have been fine, man. That that Ferengi wave would have just got bounced right off it, and he could have gone about his business. He would have got a few funny looks on the I'm bridge gonna, but i'm gonna try that next time i got a migraine right up until i have i'm the wearing mine right now just in case that. man yeah in my lead lined underwear <laughs> i don't want no radiation getting to your goodies <laughs> there you go i, I all right i'm gonna start on on, on some of my radiation my... <laughs> and you are <laughs> You that was the sound of that. one of your balls dying, by the way. <laughs> he calls you Captain, too, because he lives down in, in engineering. <laughs> I can't give you any more, sir. I've given you all I got. I'm her all she's got. She's going to fall apart if you don't stop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The thing about the headache, you know, he because he starts out, and I love these. He's right in the beginning, right at the very start of this episode. He's already a grumpy old fucker. I love <laughs> yeah. it. And he's like, a headache, a headache. Surely you know what a headache is, you dumb bitch. Well, and she's like, well, yeah, I do, but I don't often encounter them is what she says. And I'm like, give me a fucking break. For okay? someone who doesn't. They don't enc- have fucking headaches in the 24th century people, with all the shit that they've got to deal with. Fucking people Klingons don't fucking walk shit. into the wall and hit their heads sometimes. You know, come on, man. And, and for someone who's <laughs> never seen a goddamn headache, she sure enough had enough tools in her toolkit to put yeah, a, no lean shit. up against his head or to inject in. You know, she was always had some new thing that she was like, well, this should take care of it for a while. And it's like, well, you have 18, 19 different cures for a headache. You'd think if they were wiped out, there'd be just like sort of one default. Oh, you got a headache? Uh, look it up in the book. Okay. Slap. She was prepared because she knew of all the fucking episodes we'd have to deal with later on with Troy gets a fucking headache. That that shit comes up constantly here in a little bit. <laughs> I'm serious. You know, I'm sorry. I know that a lot of people really, really like that character and everything, but as the years wear on, that character really grates on me more and more and more, where Deanna Troy is just the most goddamn useless Star Trek character. I mean, what did she ever do besides get a headache? You know, it was like, oh, I sense that. You know, the, these aliens are a bunch of assholes. It's like, well, I can tell thing. that already. Well, Thank that's you. the thing about you know? the Ferengi is, is they're so transparently assholish. And, they're, they're like, if you read their basic rules, it's like Ferengi are assholes. They're not to be trusted. That's their total framework. But she's always like, I, they're not being honest with you and they're, they're being deceptive. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> they're the Ferengi. When you look at them, they're like, ee, ee, you know, there's just no subtlety about them. But actually, I like this because this did because what I didn't like about the first, you know, our first meetings with the Ferengi is, is there was they were so transparently full of shit. You know, <laughs> they're so cowering and toady like and and so deceptive and that. 
I was waiting for the rub where it was like, okay, they're playing on people's perceptions of things and these guys are going to be totally honorable, right. which they are honorable in their own context. But, you know, basically it, it, it was just like, all right, well, whenever you're dealing with Ferengi, you, you, it just it was established that it was going to be straight up. There, there's strict commerce on, right? You know, bloodthirsty capitalist commerce, and uh, in this one, they're given a little bit of subtlety because we meet a Ferengi who isn't mo- who is motivated by revenge, which is not on- which is not honorable in in our, you know, Starfleet, you know, Earth world. But also not in Ferengi world either. You know, it's not a it's not a proper motivation for him to do what he did. If it, right. it resulted in money, I you know where the scene where they're like, you know, I'm giving it to him for free, and they're you know the the science officer and the first officer are just like <laughs> sunlight, no <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> it's it's I I, I like that scene, but. Uh, weren't the Ferengi supposed to be like the next generation answer to the Klingons and the Romulans, the the yes. big, the badass threat? And when yeah, you meet them, did, they're, they're, it just they're, didn't fucking happen. No, they're these little toady creatures, and really, they they don't do anything aggressive. It's just a back and forth diplomacy with assholes, basically, with them. But, you know, there's never a point where the Ferengi just go, you know what, fuck you guys, and they start just firing, you know, because we seem to have them out somehow out-firepowered, you know. I don't know, you know. they What are they doing aggressive that make them such a bad guy? You know, they're not really. No, and I think that's why the Borg ended up showing up, because it, you needed oh, yeah. someone that you could actually be scared of, you know. Right. Well, I, I think that I think that the the guys behind the show, I think they pretty quickly realized that the Ferengi were just not going to cut it. You know, as, they're more as like, like comedy relief. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they slowly mutated into the the laughable villain. You know, they slowly became like the hairy mud of this of the series, where you could you could yeah. create dramatic things with them and all that, but they weren't a scary threat they were more like a you know get into some mischief kind of threat and and that's really what they became and i i think that started well i'm i think it started kind of sort of here to a certain degree but but it was a little bit later at this point there's still a little bit more the uh a little bit more of a villain type of thing. Or at least Bach is. You know, they're not completely just laughable, but it's hard to take them seriously too. You know what I really liked in this episode? I just thought of it when I I I'm a, I I love the whole thing where Picard goes back to his old cabin and sees his stuff yeah. there, and is just like, Ugh. yeah, I I love that idea. You know, I mean. I have dreams sometimes that I find my old room when I was a kid, like, completely intact. And I'm like, holy shit, all this stuff is still here, you know? And that's what Picard actually got to 
go, oh my god, you know, he actually got to travel into the past. It was pretty, that was a neat scene. I like that, but in a moment I'm going to tell you why, why I you have don't a really like major it? beef with it. <laughs> well, it's not that I don't like it, it's just, it's one of those things that when you, you know, when you, when you start to examine it, you start to realize that there's like a big fat flaw in the logic of it, ah. right, right there in the middle of it, so... But uh, everybody's got a big butt, Dottie. <laughs> What's well, you know, all right. big butt in this case? We, we talked about the headache thing, which I don't know about you. I'm I'm already gonna. I've already think. I already think that's enough of a stretch. You know that I don't know. They really don't have headaches in in there. Come on. But then coupled with that, a little bit later on, Crusher says something. You know, like they used to have the common cold. Now, come on, I'm calling bullshit right there. You can't have both. Come on, not in the same episode. You're not going to tell me that we've cured both headaches and the common cold in the same episode because I just don't buy it. Plus, even if I did buy it, I'm pretty friggin' sure that at least one time later on down the road, we're going to see People with somebody colds. with a friggin' cold. Yeah. I know that Worf catches a cold at some point because I remember him sneezing like crazy. There's There's one of them later on where he keeps going like, what you and they they dubbed in like this cheesy echo effect that sounds really bad. I don't know where it is, but I know it's down the road somewhere. So at least Worf gets a cold. But I'm I'm thinking that there's an episode with like Picard with like a serious head cold or something. I'd swear that there is. So. I'm 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 with you on that. So I I think that's one of those like changed or forgotten premise things down the road here's one that drove me nuts i know this is i know this is super geeky nitpicky but god damn it this sort of thing drives me nuts all right wesley runs onto the bridge right and he's like you know in a second you're gonna get intruder and alert and 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 Riker kind of chews him out a little bit and not a second later i think it's yar that says you know intruder alert sir and you know they're all freaking out about it and everything and then LaForge says something about, you know, we're picking up some strange ship off the bow or some fucking thing. All right. That is not a fucking intruder alert. An intruder is someone who's inside the friggin' ship. Yes. A ship coming up onto the Enterprise, that would be like what? Like a perimeter alert or something, right? Or some, some it's not a fucking intruder because it's not inside. Right. It's just, I know it's nitpicky, but. <laughs> You know, it's these kind of things that that keep me up at night, all right? Okay, on the subject of Wesley in the thing, he literally says, this is the line, he says. I was in engineering, playing around with boosting sensor output. All right. You know, well, well, somebody I was playing with the do something about this fucking kid, please. It's, it's like if it's like some old Navy movie where there's a kid named Skipper who lives on the fucking nuclear sub with all the guys in World War Two, and it's like yes. I was down in the nuclear reactor just working on a new venting system, and it's like what the fuck, Skipper, you're grounded, man, or we're, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what the fuck are you doing messing with that Federation property, kid? You know, go play, go play Tetris. Right. Go yeah. play that I game mean, where you suck, where you play the little worm things that suck down the energy balls. And maybe it's just the way he says it. Maybe it's just awkward. Maybe he wasn't truly, completely fucking unattended while he did this. Maybe he had that. that maybe he was uh, just oh, wait, running no, that... computer simulations. 
Right. Well, I, you know, I was I was going to I was about to say you know, maybe he had that that Indian guy down there with him, but I forgot that guy got dead fried. But you know what I'm saying? Maybe maybe it wasn't the way it sounds. Maybe he was like he was part of a team who was working on the problem, but just the way the line sounds and the way he says it makes it sound like, "Well, I'm Wesley fucking Crusher and I was just down there, you know, trying to fix your friggin' ship cuz it's fallen to pieces even though it's brand fucking new." Well, teenagers just, that age are know-it-alls. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. so yeah. I yeah. mean, that, I got one. <laughs> I was just gonna say, you had yours was chiding you today after Iron Man two, just like Dad, you, you know, duh, Dad. So, yep. so you know, I mean, there's that scene where he, where he basically, who he tells his mom and uh, who is it? Is it um, what's her name? Not Yar, but it's um, Troy. Troy. He tells them something, and they just run off to the bridge to tell Kirk or Kirk, haha. <laughs> Tell Picard and and he he goes, You're welcome, ladies, you know, all sarcastic, you know. Instead of being like, Ha, I just helped save the situation, he was just like, Well, I'm not getting to get any credit. Which a teenager would be like that. So it's I, I that's what I'm thinking is like the things that are the most annoying about these characters is sort of what makes them realistic. And that puts a sort of tension into the next generation, you know, of where, it, you know, it makes it kind of hard to like the characters. So they have to make these generally unlikable characters because we can't identify with them. Right. To some extent. We can identify them to some level, but to make them likable and that much advanced to where they're kind of insufferable to us in some ways or seem smug. It's a real challenge, and I think they succeeded with doing that, but at the expense of having some annoying characters like Wesley yeah. and Troy. Right. And Troy's mom. I noticed that Picard states I uh, outright in this one something that we had wondered about earlier he comes right out and says that De uh, Data is the second officer in this episode, and I thought that was worth noting because I know that we were kind of wondering. I know that that, you know, later, I remember that later on, but I wasn't sure if that was established this early in the series already. And, you know, seeing as how we haven't yet gotten to the episodes like Measure of a Man and stuff where they actually established by law data's state of being you know his his standing you know within starfleet his standing as a sentient being and all that sort of thing i gotta kind of call bullshit on that i mean it's would the, you really want an android who is so incredibly naive as as data seems to be and at the same time incredibly powerful yeah, and mechanical, so something could go yeah. wrong with him. I th and it does. I, I look it at does. It, oh yeah, in just a few episodes. Well, yeah. I, I, I look at it this way. I think this is another thing where we run into this little dissonance between the way we look at things and in the future. I think that they would easily that the the way they so seemingly cavalierly put, you know, Klingon on the ship. Uh, a robot on the ship in in powerful positions in you know very iconic positions is i think in the future they've realized that there's a value to taking those 
what would seem like big risks. There's the val- the value of going out on a limb, of trusting something or that has shown that it truly wants to do what it's doing, which means going through the academy. So if you can make right. it through the academy, it doesn't matter if you're a machine. If you can build a machine that can make it through the academy, you know, have at it, Haas. And that's what Data was. He went into the academy and he passed. And so he's a, so he's passed those things. So he's a Starfleet officer, no matter if he's a machine, if he's a glob of protoplasm, if he's an energy creature, whatever. He fulfilled those. And they've realized the value of that as opposed to the risk of something horrible happening, which almost invariably with everybody, something bad happens as a result of them being, you know, a Klingon or a uh, a robot, android, or, or, you know, whatever you consider him. Right. But uh, it's worth that risk, you know. It's you're gonna you're gonna take hits on it, and I think they've come to that point in where they'll do sort of cavalier. It's not really that cavalier because yeah, Data has proven himself as a Starfleet officer, and his and even when he does go piss wacky, he still saved the universe enough times to wear it out, outlives it, and. And this is actually funny that we're talking about this because, you know, scientists have just announced that they've created the first synthetic life form. So Hmm. it's another step towards, you know, it's a microorganism, but they actually pretty much built, you know, the the DNA for it. And they've programmed the DNA so well that, you know, they figured out a way of encoding DNA so they could put more than two letter, you know one or zero in so that uh-huh. they can put letters in so actually their website is encoded in the dna too so you can if you can actually read the dna of this protoplasmic creature that they made then you could actually email them i think it's their email address but they've huh. you know they built the dna strand for this thing and they can inject it into just a glob of protoplasm or, you know, a, a cell. And this DNA takes, you know, takes over as the DNA and the cell starts producing the amino acids they want it to do. So, you know, they're, you know, they're talking about making things like little microorganisms that eat carbon dioxide or, and shit oil, you know, or, or something to that extent, you know. I'm looking forward to when we get down the road to to episodes like Measure of a Man that that took a, a serious look at what is data, you know? And is that, he is he, you know, cuz there's uh, the there's the line in that episode, you know, is data just a toaster? Yeah. You know, which I know some people have a problem with the idea that there's still toasters in their time. But I mean, they had to come up with a with an analogy and only really a modern analogy would kind of work in that Right, context. right. But I'm looking forward to that because I, I, I would love to get a little bit more like group participation with our listeners for, for that whole thing. But I'm, I'm simultaneously really anticipating that one, you know, in a good way. But I'm also kind of dreading it a little bit, too, because my, my take on that whole thing is along the same sort of lines as my take on the whole hologram thing from a while back. So, 
but I, I, you know, it'll be fun when we get there. It'll be fun examining, you know, what we think the the nature yeah. of of life and data and all that sort of thing is. So I, I, I look forward to I, that. And uh, and when that stuff is approached in the next generation, it it's approached in a fairly complex manner, especially for TV. It is maybe not as complex as like a science fiction novel or something. But it's headed in that direction. So I, that I, when they started doing stuff like that was when I started getting really impressed. When that was when I realized, okay, the next generation is actually just a little more hardcore sci-fi, and right. I was really actually very okay with that. I was like, that makes sense as a progression of Star Trek. I'm glad, you know, that they've actually been like, you know what, we're not going to bow as much to commercialism now. Or we don't have to in this case where we can be more, more hardcore science fiction where it's more of an, inter- an it's more of an idea than an action cliffhanger, you know of how are they going to shoot their way out of this one? It becomes a like how are how are they going to think their way out of it then shoot their way right. out of it, and what's right. what's the moral? you know thing going on here and a lot of the and a lot of the ideas that were expressed were you know more they were more complex than the usual one more complex than the original series but the original series was more complex than the other stuff that was around it at the time so this right. reflected that it could be a little more sci-fi for us and i i like that and i always that's what i that's what the glue that keeps this series together for me that makes it work for me. That and the characters, you know, that there were characters that I liked. I like the uh, the music a lot in this one because this was at a time before the series changed to not really have any discernible themes. Right. And I noticed that this episode several times used that you know the the Star Trek the motion picture flourish you know little flourish and little theme uh, most notably the part where Picard beamed aboard the Stargazer for the first time and it really to me it enhanced that character moment you know that this was a Star Trek moment because yeah. it had the the Star Trek theme playing while you know this was an important character moment for Picard because again you know Picard to me it seems like Picard humanized slowly and it was baby steps. It was little things. And this episode went a long way towards that, that, you know, we, we finally saw him lighten up a little bit and we learned a little bit more about him and what makes him tick. And I, I liked that, I, but the, the music definitely helped that scene rather than just being something generic and backgroundish. It was the actual Star Trek theme. And I really liked that. I like the way it was shot also with the sort of ghost images of people and the ghost fire yeah. and and the red light and just the very dream, bad dream, nightmare quality of it. Yeah, I was, was reading great. about how they, how they made that and it was cool because all those elements were actually filmed separately and fogged and things differently. So like one ghost would look a little bit different from another ghost and all that. And then they were all composited together. And I think it looks really cool. It looks very dreamlike and it looks very three-dimensional. You know, yeah. there, there's a very three-dimensional feel to it. And uh, yeah, it's 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 it was very nicely done. Beautiful special effects for a TV show. <laughs> you know, 
There's a line in here Especially that, at that I'm gonna, time. I'm going to pull it out and, and plug it into this episode at some point, and I may start. I may start just using it from time to time randomly uh-huh. because I just love it so much. It, it's it's the way I prefer to answer the door when I'm in just a pissy mood. But there's a part in this where where Picard's had his headache for like a week now, it seems. And somebody comes to his, I don't know, it's like his quarters or his office or something, and rings the doorbell, and he just goes, Yes, who the hell is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. it reminds me of my grandfather or something in that part, because he's just a grumpy old bastard in that. I love it. There's also, I caught, I don't know if this qualifies as a blooper or not, but I thought it was hysterical. you got to go back and look at this when you get time. They come off of a commercial break, I think, and it has... Uh, it's a scene with Data, Riker, and LaForge are in the captain's um, ready room. And Data says, By comparing the Stargazer's main computer log with Captain Picard's personal log, I have found checksum differences, sir. And Riker literally says, What does that mean? And you can see LeVar Burton trying not to bust up. Just to he's, crack up? Yeah, he's trying so hard not to crack up. It's really funny. It might have been it might have been a improv or a blooper that might have been a blooper and they said, you know what? That actually kinda works. Let's yeah. keep that, you know? I will have really to see cool. that. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta watch it. It's real subtle. All but right, it's I'll go I'll go back and watch that. You go back and watch that one with the guy behind the door and that Oh yeah, I still need to see that. Um all right. You talked about the, the part where you know Picard was like looking at his his you know belongings. You know, we he basically goes back to his old uh his old quarters uh-huh. and all his stuff is still there and all that. I like it. I, I know what you're talking about. It, it creates a nice little moment. Again, it's a humanizing moment for Picard and all that. And I really do enjoy that. However, I'm sorry. There is no fucking way that Starfleet would allow one of their starships to just float around out there somewhere in space. You know, the computer's intact. The da- data banks all seem to be intact. You know, for that matter, why the hell did they even abandon this ship anyway? Because according to what we actually see happen in the episode, plus what Data says at some point during the episode, was it really even damaged all that badly? I mean, I kind of got the impression that they left the ship because it was on fire, you know? But really, I mean, it works. Picard's able to get it up and running, and he's... Well, the the Ferengi might have uh, tooled it all up and gotten it back up and... You know, they had to definitely, they definitely got in there and reprogrammed the computer to pretend that it was all those people so he could say, you know, Mr. Right. So-and-so armed the torpedoes and all that. But that kind of lends into it, too, is that, all right, even if it was heavily damaged and, like you say, Bach had it all fixed up, still, it, it at least looks like... It's operating with like all its original systems. Yeah, you would want to recover. You would want to recover it just to prevent exactly this from happening. I'm thinking they'd want to scuttle the ship. I mean, you know, set it to self destruct, right. or you know, if if it was damaged so heavily that the self destruct was online or something, you know, aim it at a star. You know, aim it at a a, a, a lifeless you know, planet or a moon or something where it's just going to smash into it and hopefully, you know, smash enough to where it's not going to be salvageable. But well, here, how about this? Really how about like this? Just, the, the Ferengi uh-huh. got to it first. There was the battle. The Ferengi ship got blown up. 
they sent out some more Ferengi ships to go and either back up the other ship or see what happened. They get there, they find, you know, Picard's ship left behind, and maybe he did set it to hit for a sun or whatever, but they they caught it before that, you know, and they grabbed it right away. I guess that's... They said, ah, you know, a Federation ship that's been abandoned, of course they would take it and want to play with it and and figure I, out what they could do with it. I think it's... I mean, I think you could come up with a workaround, you know, with a... Uh, uh, what you call it? I think you can come up with a no prize explanation for it, but it just doesn't look good. You know, it, it doesn't look good for it's for Picard for one, but it doesn't look good for Starfleet that you know that, that they, they just would... got ships floating around in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean, when when we, I'm sure that in our military, you know, if we were to lose a nuclear submarine or something, you know, if if, if there was some horrible accident and something was going wrong and it looked like you know they were going to lose one in any especially time of like, war like yeah old war or something they would have scuttled the ship you know they drive over the marianas trench and let it fucking sink into the deepest place on the planet where they hope that nobody's ever going to be able to get to it or something like that yeah. you know you don't just okay let's abandon ship and you know well we hope nobody finds it you know it, it just that was kind of the 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 feeling that it created in this yeah. episode. Well, it was, they, it's a computer full of information about you know. I mean, those computers are pretty goddamn comprehensive. Yeah, I mean, because they're, they're not they're not reading it off an internet thing because it's already told that subspace, you know, communication takes a day one way, a day back, you know, depending on how far out. Yeah, but so those I mean, computers we, are just chock full of information about everything yeah and some information you definitely don't Mm -hmm. want to fall into potentially hostile hands i mean we see in star trek the motion picture when v'ger's probe comes aboard and starts zapping the computer that's what decker says you know it's running our defenses you know starfleet strength and all that and they're all freaking out about it so you know, you wouldn't want to leave that sort of information just floating out there for any old buddy to come right. along and go, oh, okay, so, you know, here's where their star bases are. These are all the secret codes. You know, this is how you beat the firewall for this. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure it's encrypted in some sort of way, but, you know, you still don't want them sitting there working on that encryption. So, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, again, maybe it sounds a little nitpicky, but it, 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 this time around watching this one, that really jumped out at me as like, wow, you know, yeah, that that just doesn't seem, you know, by our standards anyway, and our, our you know, the way our modern military works, that just seemed very unrealistic to me. Also, I wish I had noted exactly which scene it is. I didn't. I just made a general note. I don't think the computer voice is Major Barrett in this particular episode. There was one part, at least one part anyway, where the computer spoke and I was like, wow, that's a completely different woman. It's a woman's voice, but I'm pretty sure it's not her, which I thought that was interesting. I thought she always did the computer in uh, in Next Gen. But anyway, um, I caught a lot of issues with the Stargazer shields in this one constantly being up or down or, you know, there was a lot of like up and down, up and down, up and down where they weren't actually saying, okay, now they're down, now they're up. But it just seemed very inconsistent because like, for example, how did Bach beam off the Stargazer? You know, after he kind of does the shields were up there. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, he does the big villain reveal. Okay, Picard, here's what's going on. You're going to die, and I'm going to have my revenge. Ha, ha, ha. Somebody or other had just commented on the fact that, well, you know, we can't beam the captain off the ship because the shields are up. And not like a minute later, Bach beams off the ship. And you're like, well, what the fuck? How did he do it? And then not long after that, you know, at the resolution of the episode, um, Picard delivers his beam me up Scotty line. He actually says, beam me home, Riker. And they do. Well, he can't. God damn it. The shields are still up. Yeah. That, was the, that was the whole crux of that <laughs> scene was that they couldn't do anything because the shields were up. And then as soon as the crisis is resolved, I guess we we're supposed to forget, you know, or just he assume that he the shields down. Right. Maybe well, he I mean, just he, did it with a click of a button or something as he right. passed by out of frame. Sure, bullshit, that's it. Oh, bullshit. Um, last thing I've got on this, this is not the last time we will see Damon Bach. Ah. And, and that was about it, really. I, You know, like I say, I know I bitched a lot about it. I do dig the episode. It's just I think it's got some major old plot holes. In I it, enjoy but, it. Yeah, but... But it's fun. Yeah. I think the whole thing with the Picard maneuver is complete horseshit. <laughs> well, the thing is, they don't. They're they're like the what this what what, and then they're like, oh yeah, and then all of a sudden it was this famous Picard maneuver and stuff, and now they remember. It's just like, really, that you would put the two and two together with you know the battle that the, had the name of the system in it. You'd think it would trigger a memory, especially since everybody was so adoringly, you know, worshipful of the Picard maneuver. Yeah. Good point. Nobody ever came up with that idea before in like, you know, a hundred and some years of Starfleet. <laughs> Nobody ever came up with this idea of, hmm, light travels faster than blah, blah, blah. So if we zip over here, then it might look like we're in two places at the same time yeah. or whatever the hell it was all about. Eh, it's a very Kirk-like maneuver. I like it. Should be called the Kirk maneuver. They should all be the Kirk maneuvers. Those Kirk maneuvers should be like something you learned in a book of how to pick up chicks. The shoulder roll. The well, shoulder know. massage roll. <laughs> All right, for this final segment, thank you very much to everyone who's been sending us feedback on Star Trek Monthly Mondays. I appreciate it very much, and we have not forgotten about our feedback reading. Uh, we will get to that. But for this episode, we're running a little bit long, so... I am just going to announce our winner for the Star Trek Monthly Monday contest. Uh, yes. Basically, what we got was we got some submissions. Nobody scored perfectly on this, which was really the way we were looking for this, is we wanted to award the, the prize to the person who answered all of the questions correctly. Unfortunately, nobody did. So what we're going to do instead is shift the rules just slightly, and we're going to award it to the person who answered the most questions correctly. So for this one, here we go. We uh, we got the submission that reads, Hey guys, it says, thanks for all your work on the show. I have heard your call for submissions. Here's my submission for the first ever Two True Freaks Star Trek Monthly Monday contest. The first question was, what was the first Star Trek novel that Scott deemed quote, fantastic, in a Star Trek Monthly <laughs> Monday book review segment. The correct answer was Star Trek Voyager Homecoming. Okay, number two was what was the first Star Trek film Scott saw, quote, at the movies, and that was Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. 
Number three is what is Chris's favorite Star Trek film? That was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. So predictable. <laughs> Number four, who composed the score to Star Trek, the motion picture? And that was the late, great Jerry Goldsmith. Number five, what Star Trek, the original series episode, was discussed on the third Star Trek Monthly Monday? And uh, I even had a little bonus thing here that the Freak's uh, nickname for the episode was also acceptable. And this submission gave both the name of the episode, which was the Cloudminders, and our little nickname for it, which was the Gas Passers. (laughs) Number six. What TV channel did the freaks watch Star Trek on as kids? And again, bonus points if you could tell us what the call letters were of the TV station. Now, this one's tricky because the correct answer, which the person did submit, was Channel 11. However, and Chris, I don't think Chris or I really anticipated this problem, but to many New Yorkers... Uh-huh. Channel 11 means Channel 11 out of New York City, which was WPIX. Alive. Yeah, 11 yeah. Alive. So he gave the call letters WPIX. Technically, that's correct. However, what we were going for was Channel 11 out CKWS. of... AWS out of Kingston, Ontario, which is the channel that we watched it from. So I'll give points for that, although that's not the Channel 11 that we were talking about. But that is Channel 11. That is Channel 11. (laughs) Yep. Um, Number seven, what is the official Two True Freaks nickname for the Talosians? And bonus points, if you can tell us who coined the nickname. He did get it right. It's the Assheads. But he didn't know who coined it. That was my dad. Yeah. Came up with the name of the Assheads for the Talosians. Number eight, what is Chris's nickname for the Gorgon from the classic Trek episode and the children shall lead? And that was the evil Burger King. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, what is Scott's favorite Star Trek film? Oh, that is such a gimme. That is such a gimme question. It is Star Trek, the motion picture. Number 10, what two classic and quote super powerful alien races are involved in the first story arc of DC's original Star Trek comic book series this was really the only question that was missed by this uh, individual he put the Klingons and the Excalbians the Excalbians is correct the actual answer was the Excalbians and the Organians Organians Number 11, what's the name of the pussified Klingon in DC's first Star Trek comic series? His name is Konam. Konam the pussified Klingon. (laughs) Konam the librarian. (laughs) The librarian. (laughs) And the last question, number 12, which Star Trek Monthly Monday episode featured Kirk fighting a doppelganger in both the TV episode that we reviewed and the DC comic that we reviewed for that month. And it was Two True Freaks episode number 81, Star Trek Monthly Monday number 13. So, the winner of the first ever Two True Freaks Star Trek Monthly Monday contest is... (laughs) 
Vinny Pascarella of Staten Island, New York. Congratulations. You have won. Now, David, what we need from you, we need your complete address. Yes. And also, we need your choice of which bonus book you would like uh, to go along with the Star Trek compendium. Again, your choices were between um, Star Trek Imzadi by Peter David, and the other one was Star Trek Ship of the Line by, I believe that one was by Diane Carey, if I remember. I'm just doing that off the top of my head, so I might be wrong on the author of that book, but... Uh, whichever one of those hardcovers you would like, sir, just let us know. And again, I will need your uh, address to be able to send that to you. So thank yes. you to everyone who wrote in for this. And also, Mr. Pasquarella, for the sake of identification, we will need all your credit card information. Oh, that's right. That's right. Just to yes. make sure you are who you are. But we're two true freaks, so you can trust us. <laughs> About as far as you can throw us. <laughs> And I think that just leaves us uh, firing up the old Star Trek computer. Yes, sir. Piece of junk. Okay, there it goes. I'm selecting our, uh, our random TOS episode for next time. All right, it's spitting out a number. Ooh, this number sounds familiar, though, but maybe not. 62? Have we... What is 62? Have we done that one? Number 62 is... Day of the Dove. No, we have not done that one. No, we have not. Excellent. I'm looking forward to this one because you know what? The, uh, the Klingon dude whose name at the moment is escaping me is played by the guy that many years later would voice Mr. Freeze on Batman the Animated Series, and if memory serves, I think he was married to Barbara Eden for a time as well. Ooh, nice for him. I, yeah, his name is is escaping me. Uh, Michael Ansara? I think that's his name, Michael Ansara. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with that episode. I remember I remember it had something to do with, like, some energy thing that makes yep. everybody freak out or something, but that's There's an energy creature in it, yeah. Yeah. Has a little bit of... Little bit of... Oh, what was this, Scotty? I don't remember. Jack the Ripper. It's got a little red jack in it. Oh, okay. It's got a little red jack to it. And our next generation episode for next time will be Hide and Q. Ah, the return of Q. Eh. For better or worse. Yeah, I, you see, I like Q, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm always down for a Q story. Whatever. Whatever. Visit our website at two true freaks.libson.com. Two true freaks.libson.com is spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot Libson, which is L I B S Y N dot com. You can email two true freaks directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S C O T T. G-A-R-D-N-R Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. 
Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. A what? A headache, a headache. Surely you know what a headache is, you dumb bitch. Of course. But I don't often encounter them. Give me a fucking break. I don't see a thing wrong. They don't have fucking headaches in the 24th century. With your head, 